you would remain standing and open your Bibles again to John chapter 15. We continue the farewell discourse of Jesus to his disciples. John chapter 15, we'll read verses 1 through 17. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you, Christ, for being the true vine that we need. Thank you for calling those of us who are sinners yet united to you, Christ, by faith. Thank you for calling us friends. May you impress these truths upon us in our time together in your word. Shape us, mold us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, the Yonkers have every opportunity they will ever get to kick back and sleep because they were the only ones who heard me preach on this in Detroit about six weeks ago. So you guys are good. If I see you nodding off, I'm not even going to say anything. I'm just going to let you sleep. No, this was the text that I took um, with me to Redeemer in Detroit um, and preached for uh, Demiron's ordination service. 
uh, because it's so full, it's so rich of what it means um, to be in Christ. It's just got pure gold, especially for someone being ordained, but also for Grace Presbyterian Church. It's a rich text. Before we jump in, a a few of you asked me at the end of last week, um, we heard at the end of chapter 14, Jesus say, rise, let us go from here. And then he just goes on. He keeps going for another several chapters. We're not going to see them leave here, leave this kind of um, farewell discourse until the end of the high priestly prayer at 17. And then he's going to cross the Kidron Valley and go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so if you're an astute student of the Bible, you're asking, what's going on? Well, there's a couple of options. I'm going to give you the options. I'm not going to tell you which one it is, because guess what? I don't know. But one option is, just like um, if you've ever been to a dinner party, and you're spending time together, and someone's talking a lot, and then someone says, hey, it's time to get going. Does that mean the party breaks up? No, that's like the first shot across the bow. This party could go on for another two or three hours without breaking up. That's one option. Jesus is saying it's time to go. The the other option is that they do leave. And the discourse continues as they're going through the city. Some even say that this portion right here, this portion about the vine, is when they're walking past near the temple courts and they see a vineyard. And then Jesus uses the vineyard as an illustration to talk about his connection with his disciples. There's another good option. New Testament scholar Ben Glad sees this as a statement of Jesus in the context of cosmic conflict. Jesus and Satan in Mark 14 as Judas is on the way leading the guards to Jesus. He tells his disciples, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is a statement of conflict with the enemy. All of those could be the case. But they shouldn't distract us from what goes on in 15 through 17. We should fully engage these things. This is, uh, the scene is still bleak. Jesus is hours from betrayal and arrest, comforting his disciples again and again, giving them truth and comfort to sustain their discipleship through what is to come, which is his arrest, his trial his torture, and his being hung on a cross. So the question is, what is going to sustain their faith through all of that? And the answer given by this section of the farewell discourse is this, bear fruit. Bear fruit. Produce. Be fruitful disciples. And the question that should come into your mind is probably the question that came into the disciples' mind, and that is how? How in the world are we supposed to bear fruit, Jesus? He gives two answers in this section. One, to bear fruit, you must abide in the vine. And next, to bear fruit means being a friend of Jesus. First, to bear fruit The branch must abide in the vine. We have heard Jesus say, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. 
You've heard him say, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here this climactic I am statement of Jesus. I am the true vine. And the Father is the vine dresser. What in the world does he mean, true vine? You, you might be okay just hearing Jesus say, I am the vine. What is he talking about with this true vine business? Well, it implies that there are false vines. In some sense, the whole story of the Bible can be viewed as the story of a garden and a vine being tended by God in his place, using his people. The Garden of Eden, established by God, he puts a hedge around it, he puts his people there to nourish, to till it, to care for it. How did that go? Not well. Man rebelled. We rebelled against the authority of God and the, the ground was cursed and our relationships were cursed and we were cursed as a result of the fall. From there we read that God established yet another vineyard. We heard about it this morning. He takes his covenant people out of slavery, out of Egypt. He brings them to the promised land and he plants them like a vine. How did that go? Isaiah chapter 5 tells us, as we heard earlier, it didn't go well. The Lord planted, the Lord watered, and it bore bad fruit. God had an expectation of his people that they did not meet yet another failure, a bad vine bearing bad fruit. Justice was expected, and instead of justice, the vine of Israel produced bloodshed. Righteousness was required of Judah, and rather than righteousness, they got distorted evil. Listen to Psalm 80. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. Let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Always God connected with his people. The imagery is that of a vine. Time and time again, the covenant of people of God have failed bad vine after bad vine, false vine after false vine, and into the failure of man to obey in the garden, into the failure of Israel and Judah to carry out what God called them to carry out, Jesus comes. And he's saying in the midst of all these failures, you've been looking for me. I'm the one. The world messed it up. You messed it up. Israel messed it up. Bloodshed and lack of justice. And in all the ways that they have failed, Jesus is saying by saying, I am the true vine. He's saying, I get it right. I'm the one you need. Where all the others have failed, Jesus will succeed. Then in verse 2, he tells his disciples, 
to bear fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Branches connected to the true vine that is Christ, believers connected to Christ, will bear fruit. It is both a command and a reality of being a branch connected to the vine. What of the branches that don't bear fruit? It says they're removed. They're taken away. The word used for cut away is the same word used back in chapter 13 for clean. God is cleaning His vine. We already saw an illustration of that. When Judas Iscariot leaves the room at night and he goes across the city to sell Jesus out for the cost of a slave, Jesus was cleaning His vine. He was pruning it. We might rightly ask the question again to the Lord, how? How in the world am I going to bear fruit? Jesus gives a couple of answers. First in verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The first answer is this, you will never ever bear fruit unless you have been cleansed by the Lord. Bearing fruit means that you are cleansed by the word of Christ. Listen, if if you're not cleansed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will never, ever bear fruit. Unless you come by the way, the truth, and the life, you have no part with this God. The second answer he gives will dominate the remainder of our time together. He tells them how to bear fruit in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The other answer is this. You cannot bear fruit apart from Christ. It means uh, abide is a weird word that we don't use a lot. I mean, the dude abides. We, we maybe you've seen that cult classic. But it's, it's not a term that we walk around using very much. What does it mean to abide? It means to stay put. To remain. To not go anywhere. To not move away from Christ. To not outgrow Him. Outstrip Him in your thoughts in your life to remain. The key to bearing fruit is not first and foremost what we do. Because we want that. I want that. Just tell me what to do and I'll go home and feel good about myself when I get it done. That is not what he's saying. The key to a fruitful life as a Christian is to remain with Christ. Just tell us what to do. Just abide. That is the answer for bearing fruit as a Christian. It's not something to do. Rather, it's who we are in Christ. Any good thing that we produce in our life flows from Christ. Paul says it like this, for me to live is Christ. To abide in Christ means to dwell in Him. It means to have fellowship with Christ. This is how fruit is produced. So often we confuse the Christian calling as something like self-improvement. 
Pastor, you spend way too much time talking about this Jesus business. Just fix my marriage. You spend too much time talking about all these doctrinal things. Just tell me how to be a nicer person. You keep telling us to believe the gospel. Just, t- just tell me how to relate to my kids. I'm having a hard time. And look, none of that stuff is bad. And the gospel has bearing on every bit of it. But that's not first and foremost what, what we need. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. John Owen says this about union with Christ. Union with Christ is the greatest, most honorable, and glorious of all graces that we are made partakers of through the gospel. the best and highest. There is nothing greater than union with Christ. Jesus now goes on to give several ways that we are to think about and apply this vital union of the vine and the branches, and we're going to see five of these. The first application is this, and it's a devastating one. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Every single one of us needs to hear this. This is an uncomfortable truth for us. We're just so efficient in every area of life. But we need to hear Jesus say, apart from me, you cannot bear fruit. Of course, Jesus doesn't mean you can literally do nothing. We can do a lot of good things for ourselves. If we frame this in a church context, we can raise lots of money. We can build buildings. We can draw big crowds. It happens every day. 20,000 people go to a huge church in Houston, Texas. We can build huge Churches, kingdoms for ourselves. We can do so many things for ourselves, but Jesus is saying, You will never bear fruit for me apart from abiding in me. We can't do a single thing of value for Him or His kingdom apart from Him being at work. Apart from Christ, what I'm doing this morning means nothing. Apart from Christ, our study of the word and our commitment to read it during the year is useless. Apart from Christ, listen, our prayers are empty words. Apart from Christ, there will be no spiritual fruit born whatsoever. He is the key to all of it. Fruitfulness is not born out of human achievement. Fruit is only produced when Christ is at work in us. The second application is this. If you don't abide in Christ, you will wither up, dry up, be cut down, and cast into the fire. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. How vital is union with Christ? How important is it? Jesus is saying that apart from this union with him, there is nothing left but judgment. Jesus is saying that the only thing that these branches that don't produce anything, that aren't connected to the vine, are good for 
are building a fire. Apart from this vital life-giving connection of branch to vine, there is only judgment. Apart from Christ, listen, apart from Him, apart from His grace, apart from who He is and what He has come to do, there is only judgment. Application three. Abiding in Christ will impact your prayer life and your prayer life will glorify God. Look at verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Listen to the deep connection between Christ himself, his word, and prayer. Far from some sort of distorted name it, claim it kind of stuff. That's not what he's saying. Far, far from it. He is connecting the prayers of his people with his very word. Listen, if, if his word, if Christ's word is indwelling in you, then your prayers will be the very word of God. Will he ever not answer his own word? That's how he's so certain that these things are going to be accomplished. Our prayers being informed by the very word of God. Which one of those is he not going to answer? Further, this kind of fruitful prayer life is said to give God glory and be living proof that we are, in fact, His. That we belong to Him. Here's the question that we all need to ask about our prayer life is, does it conform to the Word of God? Jesus is linking His own life, His own words, and our prayer life. Think of it, Jesus himself is the word incarnate. John told us at the beginning of the gospel how to think about him. He is the word made flesh. So now those words abide in his followers. This is the power of prayer. It's impossible to stop this kind of prayer from being answered because it is the word of Christ himself. Will he ever violate his own word? Will he ever promise something that he does not achieve? David expresses this in Psalm 40. I desire to do your will, O oh my God, your law is in my heart. Aligning our wills with God's word. How can we practice this? How can we have a prayer life like this that glorifies God? Pray his promises back to him. Remind him of what he has promised. Practice praying the Psalms. Listen, pray with your Bible open and your eyes on it. It's fine. Open your eyes and pray. Read and pray. It's a good practice. And it glorifies God. That, that, listen, those are the only inerrant prayers that you will ever pray. Is with your Bible open and your eyes on it. John tells us in verse 9 that this kind of effective union is what gives God glory. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God is glorified. And his disciples bear fruit as we abide with him in prayer. 
deeply convicting. Application four, union with Christ means love and obedience. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Again, this incredible link between the love of the Father to the Son and love from the Son that extends to his followers, his disciples. Not only are we to remain in Christ, but here we're told specifically to remain in his love. Remain in the love of Christ. Again, we have a great question. How, how do we do that? And he tells us. Same way Jesus remains in the love of the Father. Obedience. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That sounds hard. That sounds transactional, Jesus. But it's not. It's actually very simple. And it's a very simple concept that each and every person in this room can understand. It's this, we act according to the loves of our hearts. It's a simple fact. We do the things that we love. Husband loving his wife, it's not just going to be, I love you, now I'm going to go over here and do what I want to do. No, that love is going to be made manifest by the ways, by the actions of that husband for the wife. And we know this in several other ways, too. I love college football. Which means there are several Saturdays in the fall that I spend watching it. And when it's not on, sometimes I listen to podcasts about it. Sometimes I read articles about college football. Why? Because I love it. I enjoy it. So I do something with that love. Does that make sense? If you love gardening, you're likely not just going to read books about it. You're not just going to watch the gardening network. You're probably going to do what? Have a garden. If you love to make delicious food, again, you don't just read magazines about it. You cook. Or you go to some fancy restaurant and you pay a lot of money to eat good food because you love it. You act according to the loves of your heart. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying about his disciples right here. If you love me, you're going to obey me. It's not just going to be, yeah, I love Jesus, and I do my own thing, and I live however I want. That is not the way love works. It never has been. If you love him, you will live out of that reality. Listen, in this life, there are so many loves inviting us, competing for our hearts, whose will dominate the landscape of our life, whose love will motivate us the most. Work is a powerful love. Our bank account is a powerful love that captures our heart. The love and approval of you, other people, is a, that's a huge um, motivator. But it's not the love we're called to abide in. Sometimes I think obedience to Christ sounds like a bad word, but I think Jesus already pointed us the way. It's utterly ordinary. Abide in my word. Abide with the people of God. 
Abide in the sacraments of the church. Do you know that communing at the table is abiding in Christ? Abide in prayer. This reflects a life of love. This is obedience. This ordinary means of grace which God uses to fill us with the love of Christ. It's ordinary. Let's not redefine obedience to some sort of standard of our own imagination. Let's let the word of God dictate to us what that looks like. Application five, abiding in the vine of Christ is pure joy. Where's all this abiding business going? What's the trajectory of a life abiding in Christ far from drudgery? Like you introduce that O word, obedience, and suddenly everybody gets real uncomfortable thinking of all the things they're not doing. But the, the way that Jesus takes it is somewhere completely different. He takes it to pure joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It is the joy of Christ to obey the Father. His betrayal his arrest, the mocking crowd, the scourging, the crucifixion is imminent. All of this is coming and he is speaking of the thing that gives him joy. What could possibly give him joy is he's facing these horrors and it's his people abiding in him. That's what gives him joy. His people abiding in his love, his people obeying his word, his people praying. All of this gives Christ joy. Further, he's saying, he's letting us in on that joy. That your joy may be full. This is where abiding in Christ goes. I love what Dr. Carson says. What is presupposed is that human joy in a fallen world will at best be ephemeral, shallow, incomplete, until human existence is overtaken by an experience of the love of God in Christ Jesus. The love for which we were created, a mutual love that issues in obedience without reserve. End quote. The best joy that this world can give is ephemeral. It's fleeting. What will last is abiding in Christ, not moving away from the gospel, not moving away from him, leads to joy that fills us up. That's where he's pointing us. If we want to find joy, where where else can we look but Jesus? Don't look to the circumstances in your life. He points to abiding in Christ. Look to the cross and resurrection to see the love of God for you. That's the fuel for our love and joy. So to do the impossible task of bearing fruit... Like you can hold your breath. You can come up with plans and this is how I'm going to bear fruit on Tuesday. I'm just going to work hard enough and produce it. Abide. Remain in Christ. Connected to the vital union of, of Jesus himself. You in Christ. He doesn't just point us to abiding. He, he points to... Um, Friendship to bear fruit as believers means that you know that Jesus calls you friend. 
Notice verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lays down his life for his friends. Earlier, Jesus tied together love and obedience to his command. Here, in a similar way, he, he does it with the foot washing. He's giving this commandment that the, the disciples are to love one another, but he qualifies it in a very specific way. You are to love one another as I have loved you. And then he immediately goes all the way and says, all the way to death. This is great love. Jesus is telling his friends what he's about to do for them. And he's also pointing them toward greatness. This is what greatness looks like. Greatness in, in this life is not laying down our lives for our own betterment. This is hard to get. This is very difficult to get for all of us in this room. Greatness is not getting all I can for me. That is not greatness. It is not biblical greatness. He's pointing the way to, to true greatness. And it's serving and loving others. That is great. That is what is designated great. There's no greater love than someone who will take service for others all the way to its end. Sacrificial love, listen, has always been a mark of the church. This is how we love one another. Jesus calls his disciples friends. This truth should shock every single one of us. I think sometimes we just read over that. The holy creator God, the righteous Lord of all the universe, looking at sinful people, who, yeah, they're the disciples, and sometimes we may put them way up on a pedestal. Listen, they were people. They were sinful people, and he's looking at a room full of sinful people, and he's the righteous, holy one of Israel who's always existed and always will exist, and he says, you're my friends. I call you friends. John will later say, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. A key feature of friendship in Scripture is this. It breaks down walls. There is nothing withheld in true biblical friendship. Think of David and Jonathan. Others were conspiring and swirling and roiling all around them, but they were bound together, and they told each other everything. And Jesus is doing that with his disciples. He's like, I'm not hiding anything from you. I'm giving you everything. He's laid out his entire plan. Not only in his word, but he, he lays down his very life. This is a friendship that doesn't hold back. It doesn't just look like service. Listen, in some, in some sense, each one of us, we're called to, to be servants. There's a sense in which being a Christian is, it implies that we serve the Lord, but Jesus doesn't stop at that. You're not just my servant, you're my friend. I'm letting you in on the whole plan. 
In some senses, each one of us are called to impossible tasks. In fact, the Christian life in and of itself, on its face, apart from this abiding in Christ, is utterly impossible. You can't do it and neither can I. We are to abide in Christ, remain in Christ, rest in Him, knowing that He calls us because of what He has done, laying down His life for us, that He calls us His friends. Know that you aren't just a servant of Christ, you are His friend. When you feel disconnected and disjointed in life, Remember the incredible love of God for you. Take three looks at Jesus. Remember that death did not hold him. He conquered death and glorious resurrection so that even today he could call you his friend. I'll close with a, a, a bit of the hymn. The pearly gates will open. I love the way it ties together the concept of love and our final rest and our full joy. It says this, love divine, so great and wondrous, deep and mighty, pure, sublime, coming from the heart of Jesus, just the same through test of time. He, the pearly gates will open so that I may enter in for he purchased my redemption and forgave me all my sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful text. Lord, may we be a church that is marked by the simple reality that we remain in your gospel. Tightly tied to you in union with you, not leaving you, and may we hear you, especially in moments of deep discouragement in this life, because of what you have done, because of your gospel. Lord, may we hear you call us friends. Assure us and nourish us in that, that our joy might be full. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.